Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, episode 302. As we take a deep dive into persuasion, self-persuasion, negotiation, influence, those soft skills we should have learned in school. Hopefully everyone's doing well. Appreciate the emails and the feedback and the posting on the social media and the likes. Everything that you do that helps with the show. Do appreciate that. Again, I can be reached at Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Or just go to the website, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Hopefully everyone's enjoying the end of summer. It's been a slow week for me. I'm getting ready for a wedding with one of my daughters. That's a lot of work. Anyway, hopefully you got your eyes on your goals, things are getting a little bit closer for you, and you realize that everything you want in life's on the other side of persuasion. So we've been trying out some new sounds on the show, so I'm trying to get some votes in, see which ones you like and you don't like. For example, here's one. That means we're coming up on the geeky, scholarly article of the week. And this one caught my eye. I'm sure you've probably read it in Depression and Anxiety Journal. This is also brought to us by Belgian Bastion and the University of Melbourne in Australia. Shout out to those in Australia. There's quite a few listening to the show. This is kind of on the self-persuasion side, that our pursuit of happiness makes us sad, Right? So the more we try to be happy, the sadder it makes us, and this is what they found out, that that social pressure to feel happy can have the opposite effect, and that can contribute to depression or feeling sad. They also found that depression rates are higher in countries that place a premium on happiness. I mean, if people expect you to be happy because you have so many things, you're so blessed, that pressure to be happy makes you sad. So they found rather than being the byproduct, being happy of a life well lived, feeling happy has become a goal in and of itself. It doesn't just happen. We we want to be happy. The more we want to be happy, the sadder it makes us. We see all these smiling faces on social media and these happiness gurus say, you got to be happy. You should be happy. Here's the quick fixes, what you need to do. You need to have more positive emotions. But there's a negative side to that. And they say it's okay sometimes to feel sad, disappointed, lonely. It's human. It's part of the process. You can't feel happy all the time unless there's some sadness in your life. I mean, there's a balance there. And that's where parents ruin their kids where they're like, oh, I'm sad. Well, you shouldn't be sad. You have so many things and you should be happy. They're like, well, I am sad. And that's true with depressed people, right? You shouldn't be depressed. Look at all the great things in your life. I'm like, well, I am. So it can't be that simple. So when we fail to live up to that happiness that we should be happy all the time, that increases our depression or our sadness. Like they did a study, and they looked at the relationship between social expectations, not to have negative emotions or not to be depressed. And the study was designed to measure the depressive symptoms, like low mood, fatigue, agitation, lack of concentration, and compare that to the extent to where they felt pressure from others not to be depressed. And the responses did show in this study that the participants that felt social pressure not to feel sad or anxious were more likely to have depressive symptoms. 
They even did another study where there was three experimental conditions. They had these anagrams, and they had to solve them in three minutes. What the participants didn't know is that half the anagrams weren't solvable. They were just set up to do poorly on this experience. So the first batch entered a small room decorated with motivational posters and books, and an upbeat host asked them to complete the task. The second group is a neutral room, same task. And the third group still had the happiness posters on the wall, but this time the participants were given the anagrams that weren't all solvable, so they were set up to fail. So the researchers found that those who were in the happy room with the unsolvable anagrams dwelled on their failure more than the participants in the other conditions. So they found that that overemphasis on happiness or seeking the positive emotions and avoiding negative emotion has implications on more negative emotions. Now, of course, easier said than done. And I know it's not easy. You know, I volunteer work with college students and help mentor them. And this is a serious factor right now, depression. But there's other factors too. Heredity, diet, exercise, time on social media, direct correlation with that, and depression, feeling valued at the job, spirituality, all these things come into play. So remember, and I've talked about this before, that mood matters. Your mood and their mood. So when you're in a bad mood, you recall bad things, it's true for them. So you got to understand their mood and your mood, increase that emotional intelligence. We talked about that in episode 286, uh, emotions that hurt influence, your EQ. Find that in the archive. That'll be on MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Those are available for free at Influence University. So something to chew on, something to think about, something you're probably dealing with your own life and other people around you. We all deal with this. We're emotional creatures, and we cannot bury these emotions. They're real. So be very careful of the amount of time you spend on social media because you're always going to compare your sad day to someone's happy day to your children getting in trouble to someone else's child who just got on the honor roll, right? (laughs) So be very careful with that. That is our geeky article of the week. Now it's time. We either do a blunder or a ninja. We're going to do a persuasion ninja. Ninja. This one goes out to the Crown Plaza. I visit Crown Plaza quite a bit. This one's in Dallas, Texas. And this guy there, he's been there for 30, 40 years. He's been there a long time. You can just tell. And every time I come... He knows what my favorite drinks are. He knows to bring in lemons. He knows that I don't want ice water. I want hot water. He knows everything. And I only go there, what, once or twice a year? But he remembers my name, remembers what I want. Ninja to you. And the key is, it's not that hard. He probably has a notepad someplace else, maybe even a picture of me or something to remember who I am. Or maybe they ask ahead of time who's there, what their name is. They get all that information. They know ahead of time. They check their notes. Just that little thing. Just to remember someone's name, what they talked about last time. To Hey, last time you said your kid was in the baseball playoffs or football or was playing tennis, whatever it is. You can ask about those things and it goes a long way. I mean, it takes seconds of your time, but the impact lasts a lifetime. By just caring a little, taking a few notes, remembering their name, what they like, what they don't like, instead of being so consumed in your own world. Hey, that'll increase your happiness, plus it'll increase your connectivity, which makes them easier to persuade. All right, time for a little listener email. Oh, boy! His name is Kirk, doesn't spell it right. It's K-I-R-K from Ohio. All right, just teasing Kirk, I'm K-U-R-T, but Kirk from Ohio says, Kurt, that would be me, love your voice. 
Have you had voice training? Well, Kirk, thanks for that. I haven't. It's just something I've developed over the years and been, probably been blessed with a decent voice. So that's part of it too. He continues to say, your voice is persuasive because I buy everything you offer. Well, thanks for that. I do appreciate that. My favorite program is Magnetic Persuasion. Here's the question. How can I make my voice more persuasive? So let's talk about it. Let's take a deep dive in that. But let's add a little feature to the show and a new sound. Oh, yeah. One of the things I do is I collect information for my books, for my research called the Persuasion IQ Test. And here's one of the questions. Let's see how well you do. Of course, you can take your Persuasion IQ, get the free book Maximum Influence, everything you need at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. I actually give you a reward for taking your Persuasion IQ. It is a win-win because I need the research. So here it is. And this goes along with, Kirk, your question from Ohio. That's the United States, by the way, for my international listeners. Here it is. Your speaking rate to be more persuasive should be average, slower than normal, faster than normal, or match their pace. Or none of the above. And what is the answer? The answer is faster than normal. That's how you make your voice more persuasive, is making your voice faster than normal. Now, you probably want to match their pace at first. You want to mirror them, but eventually you want to speed it up. Every study shows the faster you speak, the more persuasive you are. Now, let me back up here. I'm not talking about being a fast talker or talking really slow so people grasp it because you want to hit them. I don't want to be the fast talker, but I want your overall average rate. First thing I do with CEOs, politicians, speed it up, speed it up. I can talk about average rate. You're speeding up, you're slowing down, your pauses, your overall average rate. It takes a little practice, but two cool things happen here. When you're able to do that, you're rated as more charismatic. There's a bigger connection there. And even more important than that, it gives your audience less time to think of counter arguments. <laughs> right? Because their bandwidth is staying up with you. The average person talks about 150 to 180 words per minute. Our brain's cruising at 400 to 800 words per minute. That's why we got the YouTube channel last week under Maximize Your Influence. I talked about personal development, how you can listen to audios on double speed, and you could easily get used to it. Your brain can easily handle it. So pace and speed is important to keep and capture their intention. That's just how it is. It counteracts boredom. And people stay focused longer. It's just how it is. Now, you're going to slow your pace down when there's something serious to say or an emotional thing. Again, overall average rate. That is the key. That is one way to make your voice more persuasive. Another way, volume. Uh, duh. But it, some speakers are, or persuaders are hard to hear and you're straining and you just give up after a few minutes. Or if it sounds like they're yelling, it's too much volume, it hurts your ears. Both of those can definitely hurt the persuasion process. The pitch of your voice is part of that. So the pitch could be the highness or lowness of your voice. Low is best. In most cultures, deeper voices are more credible and they reflect more authority for both men and women. So smoke more. And you, of course, you know I'm kidding about that one. But there's just something about your pitch being high and low. You want to vary our pitch so you're easier to listen to. That's one that people don't even think about. One that hurts your ability to persuade are vocal fillers. Um, or, uh, you know, and you're probably using them. A few here and there, okay. But we use way too many. You should be recording yourself and listening. It's like a knife stabbing you, and it really hurts the ability for people to listen to you because that vocal filler is just throwing everybody off. 
We've talked about rate, increase it. Volume, make sure you're easy to listen to. Inflection, of course, with pitch, deeper is better. Other studies show that low pitch creates a more favorable attitude. A rise in pitch shows nervousness and indicates that you could be hiding something. An increase in pitch decreases competence. Again, this is a perception. And high-pitched voices are perceived as weak. Just how it is, just giving you the facts, not here to sugarcoat it. Now, there's accents. I'm not going to identify which accents are which. Some accents, people just don't think you're very smart. Some accents, people think you're smarter. Some are easier to listen to than others. One that we don't really think about with our voice sometimes is that pause. They call it a pregnant pause. Why? I don't know. Let me know if you do know why, but a pregnant pause is a pause. Like the one I just did that grabs people's attention. A strategic pause can get people to listen, to stay more focused. And even if they're not listening and they're indifferent, we can grab their attention. I mean, this is real. We judge people based on their voice, especially more and more over the phone. A lot of it's based on voice. I mean, think about it. Even face-to-face, it's based on voice. I mean, think about this. You were on a jury, let's say, and a lawyer came in and the first lawyer said, all right, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm going to prove to you and in this nice, deep voice. And, and let's assume they're one of the worst lawyers ever, but they have this nice, deep, commanding voice. And the jury's like, oh, all right, I get it. This is a smart one. And, and the next lawyer, who's the smart one, and is one of the better lawyers, says something like this. Jury, today we're going to be discussing some of the... <laughs> okay, I'll stop there. But I think you get the point. Even though they're the best, you're like, no, they're the worst. And that voice alone causes judgment, prejudging, Cause people to put you into a category you probably don't want to be in. And yeah, be very, very careful that your voice is real. How you use your voice is real. The rate, the pauses, the things that we've talked about, so important that you understand. And even one that I've noticed lately, a cadence, a rhythm that you have when you speak, especially when you're doing presentations. If you can get into a rhythm when you're telling a story, have a little cadence that makes all the difference in the world to keep people's attention, makes them easier to persuade just to think about that rhythm, the cadence. That's probably next level phase two type stuff for you, but that is a real thing. I know when I'm getting interpreted, for example, when I'm in the Middle East, having a cadence, having a rhythm, when I'm getting interpreted makes all the difference in the world because it's hard because I'm stop, start, stop, they go, I go, they go. It's just interruption after interruption. But if there's a cadence and they mirror that cadence, that rhythm, it's just easier to keep people engaged and keep their attention. Again, it might be phase two for you and it is something to work on and record yourself. Listen to yourself. That's how you get better. And yeah, your voice does sound that way. We've talked about it, but that's being a professional and really understanding how it works. Another piece here is what I call paint the picture. And I'm going to spend more time on this on the YouTube channel at Maximize Your Influence. I'm painting the picture, but basically painting the picture is being descriptive. It's captivating. It's engaging. You're grabbing their attention and They can see it, taste it, touch it, feel it with all these tools that you're using. Painting the picture becomes real. It becomes alive. And they can feel it. It triggers the emotions. That's what great persuaders do. In fact, a lot of people say great persuaders is like listening to a movie or watching a movie to where it's just engaging. It's there. They lose track of time. That is painting the picture. A couple final pieces here with your voice is understanding tonality that the tone of your voice can trigger a lot of different emotions and different reactions. Like if I lower my voice, like I'm going to tell you a secret, you watch the person you're talking to lean in. It grabs attention. 
And that usually means something important is coming. Sometimes in your voice, you want to just keep it simple and easy, like it's no big deal. Like everyone's doing it. Hey, you got a few minutes for me? Hey, this is where everyone loves to help. In your words, in your voice, you can say it to her, oh, okay, it's just simple and easy. Then, of course, there's that confidence, the authority, the the I'm the expert. This is the only solution that's going to work. In that type of thing, you're inflecting down the tone of your voice, your confidence. It's kind of a command type thing to where people are like, oh, okay. They've been taught their whole life. Authority tells you what to do something. You do it. Then there's the tone of your voice. You can call it, you know, connecting. I care, sincerity, empathy, that type of thing to where, hey, how are you doing today? Where they can feel in your voice that you're not just saying it, that you really care. Now, sometimes you want to inflect up at the end of a statement or like it's a question. Because when you elevate up, it sounds like it's a question. Even if it's not a question sometimes. If someone say, are you Kurt Mortensen? That's a question. Even though they might know that's my name, it's elevated up. That grabs our attention more because we're trained, our brain's trained to answer questions. One tone is called the presupposition. That's a form of NLP or neurolinguistic programming to where you just assume that they're going to do it. It's also called future pacing. You're building the vision. You're going to love how this car handles in the mountain. When we meet next Tuesday, when we ship it on Thursday, when we're finished with the project, all assuming they're going to do those things. And that comes across in your voice. And be aware of that tonality. Learn to change. I mean, it's good to have energy and enthusiasm and charisma and that passion in your voice, but you need to vary it to keep their attention, to keep their focus. Hey, your voice is one of your most important persuasion tools. Protect your voice. Mentioned earlier that I asked for hot water. I hate hot water, but ice water, which I love, constricts your vocal cords. You can't speak as long. That's why I chew on lemons or put lemon in hot water. Protect your voice. Don't be yelling all the time. This is your tool. So treat it that way, like one of your greatest tools, but then record yourself. Listen to that recording. Become better because you're too close to it. You think you're being persuasive, but you're saying and doing things with your voice that can repel people and you don't even think about it. So your voice is a great tool. Do the things that I talked about today. It'll make a huge difference in your success and your ability to persuade. So appreciate you being here today. Get everything you need at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can find us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, under Maximize Your Influence. Always good to hit the like button, give us a feedback, a testimonial. Love to hear those things. Remember, our goal here is to get what you want, when you want, and in the process, win friends for life. That is our show for today. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you realizing that persuasion is key to your success. So do what we talked about today. Stretch yourself a little, master these skills, and go out and persuade with power. 